Welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast. We're here to grow in faith, connect in community, and serve the world. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. As has been said, my name is Steve Brown. I'm retired from being a pastor for just over a year now. My wife and I, my wife also retired. She was a kindergarten teacher. Uh, we sold our home in Gahanna pretty quickly and then moved to a house on Rocky Fork Lake out in Hillsboro, Ohio, that we've been working on this year. That's where we live in the warm months. But then in the colder months, we have three of our four children that live within four miles of one another along the Montgomery Road here in Cincinnati. And so we live with one of them uh, during the colder months. So that's our life now, pretty wonderful life. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you this day. In Christ's name, amen. As wonderful as it was, I would imagine, I also imagine that it was often confusing for the disciples of Jesus. As he said things and did things that was beyond their understanding. So with the gospel lesson today. I mean, they're already swimming in confusion. Jesus has been crucified, but now he's risen from the dead. An unprecedented event that was beyond their understanding. In fact, even the gospel lesson today notes that some of them doubted. Here's Jesus. They've already seen him raised from the dead at least once or maybe a couple times before. Here he is again, and it says, even though he's standing right in front of them, some doubted. And then Jesus says this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can imagine one of them going, wait, what? Who? Baptize in the name of what? For here is the clearest articulation of the Holy Trinity in the Gospels, something Jesus has not yet said, and he throws them this curveball. The Trinity. From the very beginning, the Trinity has been difficult to understand and for some to accept. A number of years ago, I was involved with a ministry that was an evangelical ministry that was reaching out to high school students in hopes of leading them into faith in Christ. And God brought across my path, or I was brought across his path, a young student, a freshman in high school who was Muslim. And we became friends. And for four years, we hung out often together. And he started to attend the events that we had and heard the message of Jesus. Now, I'd like to tell you that at some point he confessed Christ and was baptized. That did not happen. And I think in part because 
of our understanding of who God fully is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was articulated once when I was at his home, and one of his high school friends who was also a Muslim, a young lady, was there. And as I met her, I learned that she attended a Roman Catholic high school. And I asked her, how does that work for you, being Muslim? And she said she got along just fine. But then I think she forgot for a moment who I was and who I am as a follower of Jesus. And she said, the only thing is, they have this crazy belief about God being three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like they have three gods. And she got a little nudge at that point. But, oh, wait. You probably believe in that, don't you? And I said, yes, but I understand that this is confusing. It has been confusing from the start. For many, the doctrine of the Trinity has been challenging to understand and accept. People accurately say that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible in reference to God, and that's true. That word Trinity was not begun to be used until the late second century after Christ. In the first centuries, the early church struggled through many controversies surrounding our understanding of the Trinity, of the divinity of Christ, the divinity of the Holy Spirit. There's a story about Augustine. He was attempting to write a book called On the Trinity that many scholars believe is his finest work. And he was struggling to understand the Trinity. And one day he was out walking along the seashore thinking about the Trinity and he saw a small boy who was digging a small hole in the sand, and he watched him as he took a seashell and began to dip water out of the great sea and dump it into the hole. And finally, Augustine said, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm going to empty this large sea into this small hole. And Augustine said, that's impossible. You'll never be able to empty this large sea into such a small hole. And the boy looked at Augustine and said, Indeed, but I will sooner fit, empty this large sea into this small hole than you will be able to understand the large mystery of the Trinity with your small understanding. And then the boy disappeared. And Augustine interpreted that to be an angel giving him a reality check about what he was trying to do. Because of the challenge in understanding the Trinity, throughout the whole history of the Christian movement, people have questioned the teaching that God exists in Trinity, in threeness. That's what the word Trinity means, in threeness. There is in our culture today over 20 different groups that are break-offs from Christianity in part over 
their understanding that God, their belief that God does not exist as Trinity. So you have, for example, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Church of Latter-day Saints, what we call the Mormons, the Way International, the Unitarians, the Christian Scientists. Many of our founding fathers were deists who denied the Trinity. Johnny Appleseed was a missionary, but he was part of a group that did not believe in the Trinity. I had an instructor in my Lutheran seminary who questioned the validity of the Trinity. Yet with all this confusion and debate over the Trinity, here's what we confess. Our belief that God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is an essential Christian doctrine over which we must have unity. You can't have a pastor up here saying, yes, God is trin exists in Trinity, and the other one saying, no, it doesn't. This is an essential Christian belief, what some may call a dogma. It is in all of our creeds. But let's understand that even though it's essential, it is challenging to understand and for some even to believe. And maybe you, if you're honest with yourself, have said, yeah, I struggle with that one. We're glad you're here. And I hope today's message will be helpful as we answer three questions. Why do we believe in the Trinity? What is the Trinity? And what is the grace for us in the Trinity? Why do we believe, number one, that the one true God exists as one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why do we believe that? Well, in one word, we believe it because of history. It is the way God revealed God's self to the apostles. The apostles were that select group of men and women who had the distinct and unique experience, but sometimes confusing experience, of walking with Jesus. Peter, James, John, Martha, Mary, and the others. They were simple Jews who had confessed Every day of their existence that hero is the Lord your God, the Lord is one. In a world surrounded by polytheistic beliefs in Egypt, in Greece, in Rome, and everywhere else, the Jews held on to this radical monotheism that God is one. There is only one true God. And then comes along this man named Jesus who says things like, I and the Father were one. Who when Peter makes the great confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, meaning you are the Messiah, but also the Son of the living God, you are God, Jesus doesn't deny it. And Jesus does things and claims to be able to do things that only God can do. Forgive sins. And then miraculous events. And then he raises from the dead. And so these simple Jewish monotheistic believers begin to say, we don't really understand this, but somehow this man is God. And then he ascends into heaven after the resurrection. And before they can catch their breath, they're together 
and this mighty wind, this power comes into them, and they're able to do things that they can't do on their own. Speak in other languages, heal people, preach with authority. And they have to say to themselves, we don't understand this, but somehow God is in us, God's spirit in us. You see, the experience of the apostles, of which I don't think there are any more apostles, it was a unique group of people, led them to conclude, begin to conclude, that God is one God, but existing in Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Just like three points to the triangle, but one triangle. And I understand that whenever you use an illustration, especially to try to understand the Trinity, at some point it begins to break down. But this is the best one I think we have going. So in light of their unique experience with Jesus and the indwelling of God's Spirit in their lives, they began to reflect on their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. They, of course, didn't call it old anything. It was just their Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. They began to reflect on it, and they began to see over and over again Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, the, in their scriptures. We read some of it today from the book of Genesis. It says the Spirit of the Lord moved over to the waters in creation. And God said, let us create human beings in our own image. Who is our? They said. Well, there's the Trinity. They found, for example, in the book of Isaiah, talking about the coming Messiah. A verse we read every Christmas. For unto us a child is... Born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there are many other passages in the Old Testament that point to God being one being in three persons. So because of their experience, because this is how God had revealed God's self to them. And they, their reflection on their own Bible, their Hebrew scriptures, the understanding of God in three persons began to grow. And so while we do not find the word Trinity in their apostolic witness in the New Testament, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is there often. Again, we read in the gospel lesson, Jesus saying, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We read from Peter where he says, you have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with his blood. And we know what we hear every service, the apostolic greeting that Paul ended one of his letters to the Corinthians with, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If you have an eye for it, as you read through the apostolic witness of the New Testament, you will often see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even though the word Trinity doesn't appear there. 
Here's a quote from an article called Trinitarianism in the Early Church by the Gospel Coalition. The early church was Trinitarian because the Bible is Trinitarian. The apostolic testimony to Jesus' person and work, the Old Testament declaration of God's sovereign work, the prophetic expect expectation as well as the experience of and testimony of the work of the Spirit in the life of the church and in the pages of the Old Testament Scripture all reveal the threeness of God reflecting on Scripture and the person and work of Christ, the early church, that is the apostles, developed an increasingly Trinitarian consciousness. And this consciousness expressed itself in worship, in theological reflection, in pastoral encouragement. And while the word Trinity itself was a development, the belief in God as triune has been the bedrock of Christian faith from the beginning. So why do we believe in the Trinity in one word? History. Our belief in the Trinity, as with all our essential beliefs that are in the creeds, is based on the historical experience and teaching of the apostles. It's how God revealed God's self to the apostles. So what is the Trinity? Can we take a stab at a definition well, when Augustine wrote his definitive work on the Trinity, starting around 400 A.D., if you take that whole book, and I've, I'm not going to pretend I've read it, but if you take the whole book, it could be summarized in one word, and that word is relationship. That the Trinity is a relationship between the three persons of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God has existed from eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this relationship. Here's a First stab at the definition of the Trinity. And what's amazing in this is to understand that God has existed in relationship, in a love relationship from eternity, always. And what we can begin to take away from that, dear ones, is that because God has always been in this love relationship, God knows what it means to love. And that's why he can so love us. Which leads then to the third question. What is God's grace for us in the Holy Trinity? So do you know where you're at in this illustration? I guess it's up on the board, so... You're right here. You're right there. A purpose. A purpose of this relationship between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to draw you into an eternal relationship with God. 
What is God the Father talking about with God the Son? What is the Son talking about with God the Holy Spirit? What are the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father in conversation about? You and me. God the Father says, I'm going to create this person. God the Son says, yes, and I'm going to die on a cross so that that person can be with us forever. And God the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to come to them right now in this sanctuary through their ears to draw them into us. So this is what we can add to the definition of the Trinity. I think you might have to go back one slide. The Holy Trinity is the relationship between the three persons of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A purpose of that relationship is to draw you into relationship with God. So what do we take away from this? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit surrounds us and draws us into eternal relationship with God. You are surrounded by God. We hear this taught in the Psalms and the Isaiah where it describes us being in the palm of God's hand. So what should be our response? What can be our response to this grace? When you're surrounded by an overwhelming force, what's the wise thing to do? Surrender. Surrender. Now, this is not a surrender being a defeat, though, because the overwhelming force around you is an eternal being, one being, who exists in a love relationship and is drawing you into that love relationship. That overwhelming power around you, surrounding you, is love to draw you in to this eternal relationship. So yes, surrender, but also trust that you are enveloped by the unmerited grace of the Holy Trinity now and forever. Surrender and trust, for you're surrounded by the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.